Well, welcome everybody to the first connection show of the last day of our leadership conference. This is the day two of the legislative seminar, and it is our 10th connection show. Can you believe it, Lucy? I almost called you Leslie. <laughs> well, that'd be okay. You know. <laughs> oh, wow. no, did you work out today? <laughs> oh, uh, 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 uh. And lifting that coffee mug, we're told that counts, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm Cindy, and I'm here with Lucy, and we've been doing this the whole weekend, extended weekend, and having so much fun. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> oh, boy. So I think we'll, we're going to start with Janet Dickelman uh, this morning or afternoon. I keep doing that. I feel like it's, you know, the first thing of the day. It's, so, it's morning you know, central time. It, it's morning central time still for you, right? Good morning, yes, so, Janet. So, so, it's still, so you were correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for us, though. So, um, but anyway. Hi, Janet. I know you are wearing your awards hat today today what or do you think see. i don't have my video on so you can't see it because I, it's okay way you too... still look gorgeous you thank still look you gorgeous. yeah um so i'm going to talk a little bit about awards and i'm not going to take too much time today because i know you have another guest here and have some other things that you want to talk about and i did talk about several of the awards uh when i was visiting with you guys on sunday but i'm just going to recap a couple of things and talk about the two awards i didn't mention well, but the one of deadline, them must be one i like a it lot. is yes <laughs> uh, just hold on just chill, chill out for a second talk down girl down um so, um now now i've totally lost my train of thought here thank you <laughs> i do that to people uh -huh. all right so we have an awards committee and it is ably chaired by connie sims and carrie muth and the other members of our award committee are natalie couch jean mann um peter alchel and brash and uh sharon lovering is our officer our employee liaison staff yes yeah. staff yes staff. Yeah, staff that's the word <laughs> that's thank it. you yeah. okay uh -huh. yeah. I, I knew that was somewhere in my head in your uh, this, yeah. this year we're doing a couple things a little bit differently we have an email address which was not in the january braille forum um but i will give it to you now and it is also on acb.org under awards but instead of sending an award nomination directly to um carrie and to uh, Connie individually, we have an email address, which is acbawards, with an S, one, at gmail.com. Again, acbawards, one, at gmail.com. We are also doing, we've heard that sometimes people don't really like having to write up the award nomination letter. You know, it takes a little bit of work to sit and write it up and then email it to someone. So if you would rather do it over the phone, we're giving you that option now. And two of our award committee members, Natalie and Jean, are willing to take um, your award information from you. They're not going to write it up for you. They're going to take your words and write them down so that the award can be submitted. So if you would like to reach out to Natalie and evenings or weekends are best for Natalie and her phone number is 217-369-5139 or Jean and you can call her. She said, if you get her, you get her. If not, leave a message and she'll get back to you. Her phone number is 518 
640-9572. And keep in mind that these awards are national awards. So we are looking for candidates who have done something on a national level. You may have someone really wonderful in your affiliate, but um, we want, or an entity, but if it's just local, that probably would not qualify for one of our awards. So, um, and the deadline for our award is uh, 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on April 1st. And the awards that we give out under the award committee are the Derwood K. McDaniel Award, which I talked about the other day, uh, the Robert Bray Award, and the Marjorie G. Beeman uh, Volunteer Award, and the Affiliate Outreach Awards. We talked about those on Sunday. The ones that I'm gonna talk a little bit about today are the George Card Award and the um, James R. Olson Award. So let me talk about the favorite award of our <laughs> host here is the George Card Award. And George Card was the executive secretary of the Wisconsin Council of the Blind. He was a member of ACB's board of directors, a delegate to the World Council of the Welfare for the Blind, which I believe is now World Blind Union, and an associate editor of the, the now ACB Braille Forum. So he was quite a busy man. And it is presented in recognition of outstanding service by a blind person who has contributed to the betterment of the blindness community. And this recipient must possess leadership qualities and demonstrate, uh, demonstrate strengths as a positive role model. Sorry, I'm having trouble with my display today. And some of the people who were recipients of this award were Dan and Brenda Dillon, and they certainly amplified the award. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Edwards, uh, Camille Caffarelli of Horizons for the Blind. Oh, and I've got one other name on here. Cindy <laughs> Who's that? I, I don't wow. know. I, I, I didn't even want to put that name down because I, I didn't recognize it at all. But, Thanks, Ahit. You know, Dan, Dan and Brenda, Paul, and uh, Camille Caffarelli. Oh, yeah, and Cindy, too. They certainly, <laughs> certainly exhibit leadership qualities. They have certainly been positive role models, and they've certainly worked to enhance the blind, betterment of the blindness community. So they are, so that is that award. And the other one that I wanted to talk about today is the James R. Olson Award and uh, the James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award. And for those of you who don't know Jim, he was the first CFO of ACB started the office in Minneapolis, um, worked tirelessly with ACB, was our accountant for many, many years, um, ran registration at the convention for years, got his whole family involved. His wife, Anna, is still a member of ACB of Minnesota and a contributor to ACB. And um, this award uh, may be given to an individual or an organization that has made important contributions to advance opportunities for the blindness community. And um, 
it's not sorry i'm sorry i'm losing and people who have won this award in 2010 it was given for the um audio description to uh to representative markey towns um and carrie i'm not going to read the whole name of all the um authors of that bill. It was given to Brian Charlson for everything that he has done in accessibility. It was given to um, former ACB President Chris Gray. Um, it was given to uh, Father John Sheehan from the Xavier Society, who really worked to bring the Xavier Society to the forefront. Um, and uh, Dr. Helen Lee, it's been given to Microsoft. It's been given to a lot of different individuals and entities um, who have really helped with the betterment of the blindness community and helped with um, communications and accessibility. That's a good place uh, for people who have done work in those venues, the James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award. And again, um, if you'd like to get information about the awards, you can go to ACB awards to acb.org and the awards information is on there. Uh, the January Braille Forum has a great article about awards and you can send your awards nomination, please, please, by April 1st to acbawards1 at gmail.com. And we always enjoy when we can have an award that is a surprise. We present these at the ACB convention, some during general sessions, but most at the banquet. And it's really fun, as Cindy knows, to be surprised when you're an it award is. recipient. <laughs> and one last thing before I go, we will reach out if you aren't sure what your person, which award your person might fit best with send it in and we will look at it and we will reach out to you you may say somebody is a good candidate for the dkm award but we may reach back to you and say no that's really more a james r olson distinguished service award do you mind if we put them under that award so the awards committee you know will take a little bit of um working with the criteria and what you have given us. And if they feel that something needs to be changed, we will let uh, reach out to you and let you know that. And if you know that the person is going to be at the convention, then we will certainly make every attempt to make this a surprise for them. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right, thank so get you. those awards in. Yes. We want to honor people that we do. There are a lot of deserving uh, people out there and, want to recognize them so yeah. thank you all right i think it's time to hear about advocacy jeff so <laughs> bring it on okay thank you yeah uh, so i'm just going to announce two things today um one or both of which people might have heard so if it's a little repetitive to you then just uh tune me out um <laughs> so Yesterday, uh, Anisio Correa and I uh, gave a panel on introduction to advocacy. And so I just wanted to announce that in the upcoming couple of months, we're going to begin a series of advocacy modules for a, a pilot small group of um, either you have to be either an AAVL member or 
a, a senior with vision loss. And in the next month or two, we'll be advertising that. And so look forward to that. If you if that interests you, there's a series of topics from you know vision rehabilitation services to emergency preparedness to um, dealing with the medical provider community to um, getting funding through Medicaid, uh, six or seven topics. And you would be able to, uh, you would have to, if you take on this uh, responsibility, attend them all and hopefully begin your journey into becoming a real advocate. That's the goal of these. And we're going to pilot it for the first time uh, for our senior ACB members. The second thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that, you know, the, the Advocacy Services Committee and really uh, as well the Advocacy Steering Committee, which is made up of um, chairs of various committees, we know that it isn't always the leaders that you hear about um, who are, you know, performing great things in the world of advocacy. We know it's our members out there who have their own advocacy journeys and who have uh, done some miraculous things in their states and localities. So we intend to hold um, perhaps quarterly at first and hopefully monthly after that, some community calls whereby you will be the stars of the show. You will talk to us about your advocacy successes and yes, your advocacy failures, because if you're like me, you know that you're going to fail more often than you're going to succeed. But every time you fail, you learn something that you can use for the next aspect of your advocacy journey. So we want to hear what's going on. We want to hear the issues that you've been working on. We want to hear how you, what, what you've done to pursue um, advocacy in those areas. So be thinking about uh, making a presentation um, on the community uh, with respect to your advocacy failures and successes, because we want to hear from you. Uh, we know how much work you've done, and it's time to showcase that work. So with that, Cindy, uh, that's really all I have for today. All right. Well, thank you. This is great, and we look forward to hearing those advocacy stories in the community. That would be awesome. Holly Absolutely. C. How important is advocacy? I mean, really, wow. Everybody it's needs so, to. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Nothing would it happen the, if, if we didn't right. do it, right? It's yeah. the cornerstone of why we were created in the first yes. place. And right. yes, we do, our, we do so many more things, but we can never lose sight of advocacy as our our primary purpose for yeah. sure truth yep. be told if somebody goes in to do whatever it might be and don't have and and does not run into any roadblocks it's likely somebody came before them and mm -hmm. advocated so n nothing just happens yeah. really well for us you know it, it always seems like there is a story that got something going so uh change uh, we we sometimes have to be the ones that move the cheese, as we learned yesterday about the cheese, and, <laughs> or two days ago. And if we don't watch yeah. out, we'll lose the cheese we had. Yes, so we right. Go. To hold yes. on to it. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Thanks you. so much.
All right. Yeah. Well, next, we are going to hear from one of our sponsors. And uh, so, Paul uh, from Waymaps, if you would like to share with us a little bit, we would love to hear from you at this time. And Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. We Cindy. just we'll just need to stop you at about five of okay, so we can go over the schedule. Yeah, uh, uh, no problem. Understood. And in fact, right. um, just uh, so in the schedule, I'm actually going to speak to the general group at, sure. at 115. So okay, so pretty soon. This is not that this isn't going to bore you when you come come into the general session. But um, actually, a quick comment before I even start talking about Waymap. Waymap mm -hmm. is is the company that I'm with. Okay. Um, you know, when Janet mentioned Microsoft, I'm. Uh, so I'm a Microsoft alum, and I'm thrilled at, at a lot of the work that they have done. They've done um, seeing AI is just fantastic, and it, I love and it. It's one of my favorite better, apps. Yeah, better and better, which yeah. is which is fabulous. I I have to say I was disappointed, and I've not come up. I've spoken to a bunch of friends that I still have there at Microsoft, um, and I don't know why they've abandoned Soundscape. Um, yeah. Now. Now, do keep in mind, though, for anybody that that may not be familiar with that, Soundscape ended up um, in the uh, public domain. So, so third-party technology companies and uh, companies that are that are in that space can can use that that code um, to augment work that they're currently. I didn't that realize that they had stopped. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's no it's no longer a Microsoft product specifically, mm -hmm. um, but um, but again, the code, the code is available in the public domain. So I'm going to touch on one other thing, just because it's very top of mind for me. Before I talk a little bit about Wayma, um, Cindy, when did you say I need to quit? About five of. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was uh, there's a company um, that is out of Antwerp, Belgium. They spent some time. So I'm in. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Rockville, Maryland, right now, just outside uh, Washington D.C. And uh, I met with these guys, the founder of a company called Eyes. It's spelled A Y E S, and their website is uh, A Y E S dot A I. Um, and these guys are. They they started out trying to tackle one problem, and that was getting blind and visually impaired people across the street safely where an intersection had a traffic light uh, to tell you whether the light was was uh, red or green. Um, and the app is in the App Store. It's it's uh, an iOS-only product. Um, it's in the App Store. I met those guys in downtown D.C., so I took the metro uh, down to Farragut North, encountered, oh, probably three lights, and then I went out of my way to, to uh, hit a couple of other lights. Uh, just to to see how it was working, and it worked like a champ. So I would encourage you to give it a go. I would encourage you to give it a go with a companion, uh, probably your first uh, uh, test or two. But I just wanted to have everybody be aware of the fact that uh, the product is out there. And does it have a cost? Well, does, does it I'm have sorry, a cost? Cindy? Uh, is there a charge for that app? No, no, free, absolutely free. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. check it out. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and now they, they, so it is an AI based product. These are AI engineers that, that started the company, really young, young guys, just trying to do some good work. 
Um, and they've also uh, included, because it's using the camera on your iPhone, they've included the ability to, if you're at a bus stop and you're waiting for your bus to, uh, to arrive, now you hear the bus coming, hold that camera up, and it's going to tell you that's the bus uh, that is, uh, that's bus 37, and it's going to Friendship Heights, Chevy Chase, and blah, blah, blah. So wow. Wow. Pretty, pretty cool technology. Uh, oh, again, free word. user, A-Y-E-S dot A-I. All right, hey. on to, to, to Waymap. Hey, Paul, this is Clark Rockfall. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. I'm very well, <laughs> and, uh, thank you. <laughs> and I just want to give a, a heads up that Pat Sheehan will be joining as an attendee and raising his hand. Yeah, we... Uh, we we were aware that we're yeah. watching for him. So great, thank you. And yeah. then, uh, Paul, while while we're waiting on Pat, yes. you're doing some exciting work here, like you just mentioned in the the Maryland D.C. area, and you also spent oh, what was it, uh, February 24th with the ACB of Maryland State Convention. How was that? I did. So that was that was fantastic. So I spoke, and I have a lot of friends in that group. Um, from, from work that I've, that I've done previously with the, uh, Amazon Echo, Alexa. Um, and so I enjoyed that session thoroughly. Um, an interesting, uh, Clark, <laughs> this is probably not why you asked, but there was an interesting development as a result of that, of that call. Many of you probably know uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Larry Cohen who is, lives in a senior community, literally a stone throw away from where I'm speaking to you right now. Uh, Larry's doing just fine, but, um, uh, but unfortunately in his senior community, um, he was hit by a car. And um, uh, as I say, doing well uh, on the comeback trail for sure, but uh, there's, an org there's a group of people now uh, many ACB Maryland members that happen to live in that community that are approaching uh, the management of the senior community. They've got an O&M who, who is uh, uh, known to us and is a tester for Waymap, and they're making recommendations about how to make that community safer for pedestrians, particularly visually impaired pedestrians, um, and Waymap is going to be going to be part of that, uh, that overall process. Um, so, <laughs> here we go. Now I've got three minutes. Let me let me jump in real quickly here. Waymap. Waymap is a navigation app um, that is designed uh, specifically for visually impaired and blind users. Um, now, it, we believe this it's going to be a very valuable tool for sighted people as well. But at the core of our design, the core of our technology was designed for visually impaired and blind users. And indeed, our, our founder and CEO, he himself, Tom Pei, is, is blind. So the, the fundamental question is this, with all of the nav apps out there, why do we need another nav app, right? We all use them on a daily basis. There's really three things that distinguish Waymap. One is it works indoors and outdoors. So we are working with WMATA right now in Washington, Maryland, and Virginia, our, our transit system for both buses above ground, subways underground, you go underground, you're going to lose your satellite signal for sure, your GPS signal, uh, and your mobile signal is probably going to be sketchy. They try to keep you online down there, but it's tough, right? Doesn't matter. Waymap works. Overground, underground. Uh, the second thing is, is the accuracy. So we've all had the experience, right, where you're, you're meeting a friend for lunch. 
you're walking down the road, you've arrived at your destination. Well, no, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, I happen to know that I'm 35 feet away from the front door. So um, our promise is we get users to within one step of their destination. Wow. Um, and the third thing um, is, is very important. So let, let's stay with the Let's stay with the uh, underground metro subway station for a second. Um, Waymap maps everything. So we are mapping underground and in the venues that we map, we're mapping the restroom. We're mapping the emergency phone. We're mapping the ticket, ma uh, the ticket stations. We're mapping the station manager's office. Everything in that, uh, in that space is going to be mapped and identified as such and able to be gotten to by our users because it's going to be part of that particular map for that station. Now, one important thing to mention, and I realize here, Cindy, my, my time uh, my time is up, but I'll just mention one thing. So the, the, um, the indoor characteristic of Waymap Right? We, can, we can map any, uh, any venue, regardless of size, either small or large, but we have to have mapped the venue in order for that to happen. Oftentimes, people just sort of mistakenly say, think to themselves, oh, this is great. So if I take Waymap app into some venue, a, a shopping mall, for example, or an office building that's going to work and they'll be able to, well, unless we have mapped that particular place, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's not going to work as I have just described. So first we have to map it, then you download the map, and then you're off and running. And, and just like the ICE uh, product that I, that I described to you, Waymap is free to the user as well. I was just so, going to ask uh, you wow. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. That's great. Absolutely. That's it's great. the it's the venue it's the venue that covers That's the cost. Got it. Um, awesome. So thank you, thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your support of the conference, and uh, just appreciate you being here. Thanks, Paul. Sure. Very cool. <laughs> All right, Lucy. Yeah. You ready to give a quick run through of the day for everybody? We want people to know what's coming up. All right. One p.m. is our welcome by President Spoon. Welcome back. 115 is the legislative imperative overview. Uh, Charles Cooper, Brumidi Group. Um, there's a whole panel of people here ready to do that for you. 2 p.m., how to file federal complaints. And this is going to be run by Chris Bell, ACB board member, with a whole panel of guests. And at 3 p.m. is none other than Cindy and I again. <laughs> <laughs> At 3.15 p.m., Hill Etiquette, and Swathananda Kumar is going to be running that, our ACB Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And at 4 p.m., Issues Advocacy, um, oh, sorry, Issues Related to Housing Advocacy, and Claire Stanley is going to do that for us, ACB Transportation Committee Chair, and... Um, so then at 445, we'll have another We're connection back. show with Cindy and I. 5 p.m., remote accessible voting. Um, let's see, accessible voting. Corinne Campbell. Oh, Karen Campbell. Excuse me, Karen. Karen <laughs> Campbell, yay. Illinois Council of the Blind. Illinois County Council of the Blind. Um, <clears throat> at 4, goodness, hold on. 
I'm sorry. My, my okay. braille You're display right. is darn it. Okay, here, let's see. Okay, at 5.55 p.m., wrap up by President Spoon. Oh, my gosh. And then everything's over. I, yeah, mean, I know, right? Like, well, this part, anyway, the virtual. And then, well, that's why I was like, And then a lot no, of us no. are flying, flying. My braille, display, <laughs> my braille display was actually correct. And I'm like, no, it can't be your, over yet. Your braille display, you don't <laughs> like it when it comes to the end. That's no. what's happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, at the end of today will just be the end of the virtual portion of conference. And then, of course, many of us will be in D.C. And we've got the rally on Friday, which is going to be pretty amazing and oh, yeah. lots of other activities. Uh, so that will be fun. Want to just quickly remind you that you can check out our ACB Mini Mall by going to acbminimall.org. And check out all of those amazing products, the jacket, the sweatshirts, one hoodie that is a zip up and the other that's just a hoodie and the, oh my goodness, that uh, drawstring thumb. bag and the the tumbler. The tumbler. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the clip tumbler. and the clip. That <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Up. Yeah, to yeah. keep you safe while you're using maybe that A's app that we just yeah. learned about. <laughs> I, I'm going to get it. Yeah, you know? I want that. Sounds, yeah, yeah that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so absolutely. anxious to see what that's all about. Maybe we can yeah. get them to come and do a community call sometime. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, cool, yeah. I mean, why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening on ACB Media and on... Uh, in Clubhouse here in Zoom. Uh, we hope you are enjoying our Spanish content. So thank you to those who are our interpreters. We appreciate all of you. And uh, I think it's time for us now to scoot yeah. out of here, Lucy. Yep. yep. So Dan, we're handing <laughs> over to you. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Lucy. How is it going on our oh. final day of the virtual? That's amazing, awesome. isn't it? It's, it's, I feel much really more is. awake today than I did yesterday. Oh, I that's don't know good. Why. I'm glad yeah. that. I feel like I got a little more sleep last night, too. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I started that... worrying about the board meeting and the rally oh, no, no, and no, all no. the fun we're going to yeah. have next yeah. week. But I'm, 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 I'm okay. still stoked. I'm really, really stoked. Good. So Me what did too. you guys think about yesterday? I was really impressed to hear from Representative Debbie Dingle and all that she shared with us. Didn't you feel like we really had a had an uh, ally and an advocate and a in connection? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. She's from yeah. Michigan, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, your home but, state. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Did and, you and know? I didn't well, even Cindy. know. I didn't even know of her. But yeah, isn't that funny? I didn't even realize. Like Lucy and I are both in Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan strong there. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, boy, the the panel with uh, you know with uh, Dr. Jill Heemskirt, I thought that, that was great. That was isn't that yeah. just amazing? The impact ACB is having. I absolutely just, it yep. hits me over and over again that you know. Talking Folks, about advocacy, we talked we, about that earlier and the importance of it. And, we yeah. are making a difference. Yes, and, and I gotta, I gotta throw this out there because it's near and dear to our heart. We're having our accessible and inclusive currency rally yep. you know, on Friday at one thirty. Uh, will be a post coming out soon on how you can, you know, sign up, where the paratransit drop-off and pickup location will be, all that wonderful stuff. But here's the exciting news. Based on our rally and our advocacy, 
the uh, U.S. Treasury and the Department of Printing and Engraving has reached out to the American Council mm. of Blind, and a group of our leaders are having a meeting at 11 o'clock at the U.S. Treasury building right before we head over for the rally. So, again, wow. it's ACB's advocacy making a difference. And you heard uh, Representative Dingle yesterday saying she'd be willing to sign on a letter, you know, holding... Wow the yep. Bureau of Printing and Engraving to their promises. Yes. So let's keep it going. Let's folks. do it. Let's All do right. it. It's going to be a lot of fun. You guys deserve a break. All we'll right. We'll see you later. See you later. Bye. Bye. Well, welcome everybody back to our fourth and final day of the virtual leadership conference. It, it's hard to believe that we're, we're at the last day. It feels like we just got started. So much amazing content, so much just amazing member volunteer participation from all all of our leaders inside of the American Council of Blind. I hope you all's hearts are just feeling warm all over from how much everybody has really contributed to pull this together. I, I also want to just give a special thank you to our ACB staff. They have worked so tirelessly to pull all this together starting with our executive director, Eric Bridges, Nancy Marks Becker, uh, also Kelly Gass, Clark Rockfull, Swatha Nanda Kumar, Cindy Hollis, Rick Morin. I mean, haven't the, the ACB media team with Rick and Debbie and all of our uh, community hosts and facilitators, everybody has just done an amazing job. The streamers, now we're being broadcast on Clubhouse. So everyone should just be really, really proud of what we've accomplished here over these last four days. And plus the Spanish. And the Spanish. I'm getting to that, Rick. I agree. That has just been absolutely fantastic. And so I have asked Gabriel Lopez Scafati to come on again one more time and say a few words to, again, introduce our interpreters and uh, talk a little bit about our kind of groundbreaking Spanish language uh, presentation this week. So, Gabriel. Hey, Dan. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice here. You're um, doing too much cheer in here, Gabriel. I yeah, know, horse, too much yeah. hip hip hooray. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, actually, um, last night I uh, was my first... Um, they teaching a class here at Miami-Dade College. I'm teaching human resource management. So it was two hours of nonstop talking. So I'm, guess I'm, I'm guessing I'm suffering the, the effects of that. <laughs> so even more so, having done that last night, I was thinking so much of our interpreters. Uh, gosh, no words <clears throat> to, to give our appreciation or, and our admiration to Lucy Arguijo from my own country, Honduras, <clears throat> Daniel Graterol from Venezuela, and Joanny Orozco from Colombia. All Floridians now, and um, all doing an amazing job. I've been tuning in on the Spanish, and they've been doing such an amazing job, uh, not only with the flow of how they transition through shifts, but also the quality of interpretation. Um, we've been getting messages that I will share with the board and with ACB. A lot of people are following and listening through their aid devices. And um, 
DICAPTA, which is an organization that specializes on Spanish audio description in America and Latin America, actually. Uh, they have been reaching out to me with a lot of uh, congratulatory messages and telling us that they've been supporting and following our Spanish transmissions. So thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Joanny. I will never cease saying that you are making history here, not only for ACB, but for the entire community of blind and visually impaired people around the world who are Spanish speakers as a first language. And um, again, I would like to highlight the fact that our three interpreters are part of our very own community. So here's to so much talent in our own very family. Thank you, Gabriel, and thank you, interpreters, for all you're doing to bring us this truly groundbreaking uh, four days of the virtual DC Leadership Conference in both English and Spanish language. So just a reminder to everybody, if you're tuning in for the first time today, you can listen to the uh, conference on ACB Media. The, the English is being broadcast on ACB Media 6 and the Spanish on ACB Media 7, all you have to do is say, hey, a lady, open ACB Media, and then request either Channel 6 or Channel 7 when you're prompted. So please feel free to take advantage of that opportunity. We also wanted to remind everybody that as we go through our panel discussions today, there'll be an opportunity during the end of many of our uh, panel sessions for you to ask questions. So if you'd like to ask questions, there's two ways you can do that. You can go into the Q&A function in Zoom and present your question. And we'll have uh, one of our uh, wonderful uh, uh, ACB media uh, personalities who will answer, uh, present your question to the, to the panelists. Or you can raise your hand and one of our hosts will call on you uh, for your questions. So again, either Q&A function in Zoom or by raising your hand in the Zoom session as well. Just want to remind everybody, let's please use the Q&A function just for questions for our panelists. It's not really there as, a, uh, as an open chat platform. It is truly there for questions and answers from our participating members. Also wanted to remind everybody, it's not too late to have an opportunity to win a $250 Amazon gift card. I know I could use one and I know most of you all probably could. So you're saying, Dan, how do I get a $250 Amazon gift card? How do I get in that drawing? It's really very, very easy. All you have to do is become a participating member in the monthly monetary support program. That's MMS. And you can do that by either making a pledge of $10 if you're a new member. As a, as a minimum, you can, you can go up 100 200 We have members that donate as much as $500 a month through the monthly monetary support support program. So don't be shy. But for a minimum of $10 as a new member, or if you're already an existing participant in monthly monetary support program, if you raise your pledge, your monthly pledge by $5, you'll be entered in the drawing for the $250 Amazon gift card, which will be drawn after our DC leadership conference once the Minnesota office has an opportunity to process everybody's information. 
So how do you join? How do you get in touch? We've got Jean Mann, our monthly monetary support chair, standing by. She's She's that uh, you know person uh, at the phones, at the computer, taking your calls and your emails. So you can call her by calling 888-999-3190. Again, that's 888-999-3190. Or you can email her at askacbmms at gmail.com. Again, that's askacb mms at gmail.com. Jean's standing by, so don't let her fall asleep. You keep those phones ringing, those emails coming, and let's do what we can to support the organization we love so much, the American Council of the Blind. All right, I've got one more quick thing I want to share with you before we turn it over for our uh, day four and our second day of the legislative seminar. I just want to take a moment again to thank our outgoing executive director, Eric Bridges. You saw this weekend, even after Eric made his announcement that he was moving on to take on a wonderful opportunity as the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. And boy, we wish Eric the best, that his staff, that everybody has worked so hard and he has really put in the time, talent uh, to develop a staff that really, really believes in our ACB core values of integrity and honesty, respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative. And boy, have we seen those all on display here over these four days and what will be coming up over our next four days in person. The initiative, the flexibility, the collaboration of everybody working together and the integrity, honesty and respect that each of us have for one another. It truly is the key core values that makes the American Council of Blind different from other organizations. And Eric has been our executive director through the development of these core values along with our ACB board and our members. He has really pushed us to that next level. Eric, we so much appreciate all of your efforts and we look forward to even having a stronger relationship with AFB in the future with you at the helm. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and hip, hip, hooray. And now it's time, my time and my pleasure to introduce to you for today's uh, hosting of our day four of the legislative seminar, I'd like to introduce Swatha Nandar Kumar, who is our advocacy and outreach specialist. So Swatha, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? Fantastic. We just got off a rally call not too long ago. Aren't you getting psyched about the rally? Yes, absolutely. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. So we hope to have everybody there. Uh, we really look forward to it. And it's exciting that it's already paying dividends, isn't it, Swatha? We've got a meeting with the U.S. Treasury and the Department of Printing and Engraving on Friday at 11 o'clock. Yep, for the rally. So I'm that's, grateful and glad that we get to talk to them. And that's fantastic. Well, turn it. 
Swatha, have a great day and uh, we'll be listening. Thank you, Dan. Um, so I am Swatha Kumar. I am ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist and I enjoyed my co-host. Hello, everyone. This is Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And I want to thank you all for listening, listening to our um, seminar for the last two days, hearing, hearing Clark and me talk. Um, thank you to our Spanish, our Spanish translators and our captioner for today. Um, and also, thank you to our sponsors. Um, so, Presidential, presidential, presidential um, mobile, mobile, mobile voting project, um, Beltway, American Free Off the Blind, The Sparrow, Waymap, and Enhanced Voting. And do thank you to all of our individual sponsors or over 71. So thank you to all of you. Um, and just to recap yesterday, our imperatives are um, the Medical Device, Accessibility Act, um, and Fitness for All Act, the Website and Software Accessibility Act, and the Communications Video Technology Accessibility Act. Um, so Clark, you were here yesterday. So what's what, what's that to you from yesterday's presentations? I was here yesterday, and I'll I'll just share one item uh, because we do have a, a packed agenda here for this opening hour. Uh, I'm going to go to the deaf blind advocacy panel, and in addition to all the great information shared by Megan Conway, Carl Richardson, and Kim Charlson, one thing that Connie Sims shared about. Uh, transportation and pedestrian access advocacy in South Dakota stood out to me. Because when I started here at ACB, um, we had a, a learning curve that we should not just be advocating for audible pedestrian signals, but how important it is to have accessible pedestrian signals, pedestrian signals that provide vibration and haptic feedback as well for the members of our community who have who are hard of hearing or have hearing loss or who are deaf. And certainly that impacts the uh, the cross disability community as well. So hearing that about Connie and Seth's advocacy in South Dakota, uh, that moment rang true for me, Swatha. How about you? Yeah, I just like I just like agree on that. Um since I actually used like I use vibration this morning, so it's really helpful to anyone that doesn't for, for all of us here um, as well. So, most of me was yesterday's panel with Dr. Hamskirk and the um, kind of the reach of ACB and how um, they're like working with cross disability groups like like um, NDRN or. Um, other members of ACB to really make this successful for all for all people, people with disabilities, not just blindness, not not just through blind or low vision or low vision. So just such me. Um, so I guess now we turn it over to Pat Sheen introduce introduce our um, next speaker, Pat. 
Thank you, Swantha. Clark, it's good to be on. I do appreciate it. I am very, very pleased to introduce Paul Burden, Vice President of Waymaps uh, Corporation and the wonderful work that, uh, that they are doing in the Washington, D.C. area uh, with the Waymaps Project, the Indoor GPS Project, and also appreciate the fact that uh, Waymaps has been a sponsor of this conference. We are very much looking forward to uh, the project being deployed in Washington, D.C., and getting access to transportation in indoor GPS. It's really a terrific system. Paul, take it away. Pat, thank you very much. Thanks very much. So, and and let me just say on behalf of all of us at Waymap, it, it's it's our honor and our privilege. We, we are uh, thrilled to be able to be a sponsor for the Leadership Conference. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Clark has reminded me my time is short. So I need to I need to be on point here. the The project that that Pat is referring to is uh, the Wamata project, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. So in Washington, Maryland, um, and uh, Virginia, the 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 DMV as we call it around here, we use the Wamata system, otherwise known as Metro, and that includes bus stations as well as subway both above ground and underground subway, 15,000 bus stations and about 111 subway stations. And so I'm going to use that sort of as the backdrop for what I describe uh, the features and functions of the Waymap Navigation app are. I'll, I'll be repeating, I'll be uh, going back to WMATA to give, to give uh, by way of example. So the question then is really, um, with all of the nav apps out there, why do we need another nav app? What distinguishes Waymap from what's out there? There are three critical things that distinguish us. The first is, as, as Pat alluded to, we work indoors and outdoors. So when you go to an underground subway station, there's no doubt you're going to lose your GPS, your satellite connection. Um, our, our transit system does, does its best to keep your mobile signal alive but it's sketchy at best, right? It, you're, it's going to be in and out depending on where you are in the system. Doesn't matter. We don't need a, you don't need a satellite. You need anything. The map is resident on your phone. It's, it's resident on the mobile device itself. So, so that's the first thing that distinguishes Waymap. The second thing is, is accuracy. Um, and, and that may be the most critical thing. When you think about safety, accuracy is absolutely critical, obviously. So what, what traditional uh, nav apps that were designed for the masses will do is they'll get you within 20, 25, maybe 30 feet of your destination and then make that announcement. You've arrived at your destination. Um, and... Most often, it is the case that you have not really arrived at your destination. You're close. Um, but when you're working with underground subway trains and traffic and all kinds of other things, you've got to be spot on. So we are getting users to within one step of their destination. Um, I'm just going to touch on this very quickly because um, uh, for lack of time, and secondly, uh, I can only go so deep into this. If you're wondering, well, how the heck are we doing this? We map the venue and we map every square inch of the venue. And then what we are doing is 
you know, everybody's heard that the mobile phones that we that we are using today are a hundred times more powerful than the computers that were in use when we put a man on the moon. That is absolutely true. And it becomes even more so every quarter when these things are updated. There are sensors, very powerful sensors in mobile phones, um, a gyro, an accelerometer, a barometer, et cetera. We use these sensors to know exactly where you are relative to the map. The third thing that I want to mention is, um, is what we map, is how, how exhaustive the mapping that we do in any particular venue is. And here again, I'll stay with the underground metro station. Um, we are mapping where the restrooms are. We are mapping where the water fountain is. We're mapping the ticket station. We're mapping where the manager for that station's office is. We're mapping the emergency phone, the escalator, the elevator. So we are mapping everything in that venue. Um, and anywhere that you want to go within that venue, we will take you there within one step. So that's a quick, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm out of time here, Clark. That's a quick uh, uh, overview. And I'm guessing we don't have time for questions. And I'm not sure how, how you want people to follow up, Clark, or if you do, or but I'll leave that up to you. Great. Paul, what is, what is the best way for folks to either to learn more about Waymap or to follow up if they have questions? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is waymapnavnavvictor.com, waymapnav.com. And I am paul.burden, B as in boy, U-R-D-E-N, D as in David, E-N, Nancy, at waymapnav. Com. So please feel free. I encourage you if there's we just we just could really uh, touch on the uh, uh, the broader points here this afternoon. But I encourage you of anything you you would like to know more about. Um, and let me let me also make an appeal. If you would like a venue, I know I'm speaking to people all over all over the country. If there's a particular venue that you would like to see mapped, um, Please let us know and let that venue know. We'd like we'd like to work uh, hand in hand with you. Um, but please do please do uh, reach out to me via email, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Well, Paul, thank you, and again, Waymap for your support of the ACB Leadership Conference. Uh, you all are a, a great partner here in the the Washington D.C. area. You participated in the ACB of Maryland. A state convention just a, a week or so ago. And I, I'm sure you'll get folks taking you up on your offer to provide mapping services for venues and other locations around the country. So well, thank you for joining great. us We'd today. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. I'll go ahead and mute. All right, great. Thank you, Pat and Paul. Um, and next up, we have one of our advisory board members, Charles Cooper, from the, is it Brumidi Group? No, I say That's it. right, yeah. Brumidi Group, yeah. Great. Uh, here to give us a, an overview of the political landscape. So take away, take, take away Charles. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you again and uh, really appreciate all that, that uh, 
everyone on this call is, is doing and your engagement is just so important. And I also, before I want to get started, I don't know if Eric is somewhere out there, but just uh, thanking Eric for all he's done and congratulating him also on, on uh, what's next. I thought I would take a little bit of time uh, this afternoon to talk briefly about um, uh, sort of what is the landscape in Washington, D.C., and then a little bit about sort of the looming election, and then really sort of uh, closing in on, you know, engagement and the importance of engagement and how I think engagement will work in this Congress. And hopefully, uh, if you have any questions, I'm happy to happy to take those. But the as you all know, the the landscape in Washington D.C. is is very different than it has been, and uh, is is led by two very narrow majorities in Congress. The House has a ten seat majority for Republicans, and the Senate effectively has a a two seat majority for Democrats. And when you think about sort of historically how that adds up, you know, over the last I don't know, 30 years, the majorities fluctuate somewhere between 20 and, and 40 seats. So, you know, having 10 seats, that means that five members can play a pretty big role on either side of the, uh, on either side of the political aisle or in the Senate having effectively uh, one or two seat majority. You know, it doesn't take a lot of members to really change things up. So a lot of people sort of I think view this very different landscape where where the there's split power and and neither side has you know a, an overwhelming uh majority as being you know a likely scenario for not much happening. I, I actually view it a little bit differently. And I think this plays into some of your legislative priorities as well. I actually think the narrow majority does the opposite. In some sense, you know, big political issues that that are you know talked about on the campaign trail. Yeah, those are going to be difficult to get across the finish line. But frankly, you know, a narrow majority forces people to come together to get anything done in the Senate. That's sort of built into the history, tradition, and rules of the Senate. If, for the most part, if you don't have sixty votes, which which inherently is a strong bipartisan majority under today's standard, uh, nothing's moving. With, with a couple of small exceptions. In the House, you have to have a simple majority, which is 50% plus one. Obviously, when there's only 10 seats in play, that 50 majority, 50% majority uh, plus one is not an easy, an easy hurdle in some cases uh, to, to jump over. So this, I believe, will force a lot of members of Congress behind the scenes on issues that are not sort of front and center uh, of the, of the, uh, of the campaign to to really come together and work on meaningful legislation that can pass that doesn't you know maybe end up on the on the evening news but has significant impact and, and consequence. So I look at the landscape today uh, as having some real benefit, candidly, for organizations like ACB uh, who have really good priorities that are not big political issues that have bipartisan support and can benefit from members coming together. Uh, this is, this is the major, this is the, the landscape that I believe over time will, will uh, be able to be helpful in that. The, the reality is 
you know, all of these members are up for, or a lot of these members are up for election in two years. The president's up for election. Everybody has a self-interest in being able to have victories and move legislation and uh, be able to go home and talk about important things that Congress has done. Everybody has that, has that interest. And while, you know, that may not happen on, on really, really big uh, sort of economic stimulus legislation, this, this Congress, I think on a smaller scale, where there are bills that are bipartisan, that do not break the bank, and, uh, you know, are things that have really good champions behind them, like they can actually get done. So uh, I think that's one positive thing to to take away from our uh, our current scenario. The the other reality is the White House is going to pivot. You know, the White House was in a much different situation when they had the House and Senate uh, run by by Democrats. Now, with the House run by Republicans, it means that everything that they want passed in Congress and signed into law has to pass with a strong majority of of an overwhelming majority of of Republicans. That's that's very tough in, with some of the priorities that they have. So the White House is going to try to do more um, administratively or regulatorily uh, in some cases to advance their priorities without having to go through Congress where, where they can. Uh, so, so first is just sort of the reality of the narrow majority. Second takeaway is this idea that the White House may sort of uh, try to do as much as they can on their own. And the, and the third is to really pay attention to the to the reality on the ground, which is there's a lot of division. There's division between the parties, but there's also a lot of division within the parties. And I think as we get closer to the 2024 election, you're going to see a lot more of the division that's already there, but probably behind the scenes. You're going to see it very publicly available. And, and that's division over messaging. You know, what should Republicans or Democrats talk about over the next two years <clears throat> that's division over or over the agenda uh you know what issues should we be focusing on and that's also division uh around the candidates you know who should be at the top of the ticket and those divisions make um leading caucuses uh in in the house and senate very very difficult because again there's not a lot of margin for error uh, when the majorities are so narrow. And those divisions really empower very small groups of members of Congress to make very big decisions um, or to side with the other party and really move things that that otherwise would not be possible. So uh, there's a lot going on there in the, sort of those three key items I wanted to highlight in Congress, but it may be interesting. It may be fun to watch. Um, and I actually think at the end of the day, uh, they may actually get some things done. Um, they started off sort of very slow. Obviously, they had some difficulty getting a speaker. Um, the committees are just getting together now. Um, but they have real big issues on the horizon. Like this is uh, effectively, you know, the honeymoon for the new majority, I think, is over at this point. Uh, they have the budget being delivered uh, this week on Thursday uh from the president they'll immediately start appropriations they have to resolve the uh how to increase the debt ceiling 
by uh, sometime early summer in June. They have to pass appropriations or extend it in September. They have a farm bill that's also uh, due around that same time. They they got a lot going on here. So, um, you know, for a Congress that I think a lot of people doubt is going to be able to get a lot done, they have a lot on the agenda that are not nice to have. These are things that have to happen or or big consequences uh, uh, will result. You know, we don't want the government to shut down. We don't want the government to default on their debt. Um, we we don't want programs to not be funded. We don't want the farm bill to not be enacted. Uh, these things are going to require real leadership and people are coming together. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to see it. It may just be a little ugly to get uh, process to get there. So that's where we are in Congress. A little bit about the election. Um, I'm sure everyone's keeping really close track of this. It's 609 days away uh, from today is the election. I'm I know I can only imagine how excited everybody is to get more campaign ads and uh, everything else. But I think the the two big themes that I think about when I'm looking at 2024 is there's going to be a lot of money and there's going to be a lot of noise. The election is going to be extremely expensive. Um, if you think about, you know, it's not very often that you see a, a uh, party that has, I mean, an election that has the White House the House and the Senate, all three of which are very, very much in the window of potentially flipping parties, all three of them. They are really, really tight on all three of them. And so it's very possible that the way that sort of the DC landscape looks today is going to look dramatically different um, after the 2024 election. And because of that, everybody understands the stakes are very high. And so they're going to be you know, very actively engaged with, which is going to be an extremely expensive election. And there's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of ads. There's going to be a lot of uh, volunteers knocking on doors. There's going to be a lot of uh, of uh, debates and and uh, people getting out there and reaching constituents and voters. Uh, there's just going to be a lot of it, and it's it's sort of already started, but it's going to start in real time here pretty soon. Traditionally. We see candidates um, announced for president somewhere between April and June. There, there always are some candidates that are later than that that go into sort of September of, of this first year. But, you know, already there's four candidates on the Republican side and we're just starting March. And so I think we're going to see a lot of Republicans get in this race and, you know, depending on what happens, there's obviously some uncertainty on the Democratic side. If for some reason President Biden doesn't run, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of Democrats uh, getting in that race, too. So it's going to be a lot of, of politicking and uh, probably some very uncomfortable um, moments for for both parties, if that's the case, in trying to figure out who will be their their candidate. But it's also going to be a time for what I would call like sort of family discussions among the two parties on directionally, this is the time to figure out where we're going. This is the time to figure out what our messaging is into the future and what we care about and who our, who our target voters are. Um, because this, this frankly is an election where all three House, Senate and White House could go in one direction. It could remain split. It could flip over from where it is today. Like we don't know, but 
it's it's so narrow and the the voter base is so divided and and split closely down the middle this is going to be a very interesting interesting election to watch but again importantly watch between that april and sort of june july time frame that's where i think you're going to you're going to uh, have a lot more candidates enter the race so uh, I wanted to I wanted to close with a couple of comments just about engagement. You all have, you know, four really good priorities that that your team I think is outlined, and uh, everyone is hopefully reaching out to their policymakers on. And these all four of them fall into the category that I was talking about earlier. These are things that are not going to be on uh, you know Anderson Cooper's. Uh, nightly show or on the front page of the Washington Post. These are issues that I think um, members of both parties can work behind the scenes on to really get, get support and really uh, work with their committees and really work with their committee leadership to get them over the finish line. I think it's really, really important that uh, to get there, engagement is everything. And I know I've said this before when I've joined you all, but the sort of one and done, you know, we show up for a conference, we we reach out to our member of Congress, and then we wait till next year and do that. I know that's not ACB's model, but that, that just does happen a lot of times. That is not useful, and that does not help move, move the ball. Like, we all have to stay really engaged. We all have to make sure that we're not just focused on Washington, that we're focused back home, that we know the people in the district offices, that we're reaching out to them, that we're having not a communication or an email, but we're having a conversation over a long period of time. You know, I think success isn't necessarily, you know, does this person support our bill? Obviously that's really important. I think I think a bigger metric for success is, is this person policymaker calling us to get our opinion on, on what's important and where we should go? And is this good language and how do we get there? And I think across your four priorities, like these are real doable issues. Are they easy? No. Is the uh, is this something that they're going to be able to to knock out in a couple of weeks? Definitely not. But are these things that that people from both parties can come together on and work behind the scenes if they hear enough about it from people back home, really understand them and feel educated on them and want to want to help push the bill over the finish line? Yeah, I think so. So I would say, you know, local engagement is probably even more important than DC engagement and consistent engagement is important and making sure they're keeping that sort of ongoing dialogue, uh, making sure that their policymakers know who you are and knowing what the value proposition is, but also knowing that you're a really good resource for these issues and that if you don't have the information, you can get it for them. But we, we, I think in an ideal situation, like a really good advocate becomes sort of the go-to resource on an issue for policymakers. And once once that happens, the ability to influence policy becomes a lot more, a lot easier and a lot more impactful. So with that, I will uh, thank you all for, for uh, giving me this opportunity to say a few words and I'm happy to take any questions.
are we going right to questions then? Yes. I'm going to assume that we are. Okay, the first hand, the only the hand right now is a phone number 217 ending in 735. You may now unmute. Good morning. Thank you, Travis. Um, I don't know where Clark Swatho went, but yeah, uh, hey. <laughs> just kind of waiting. <laughs> we'll just talk with Charles here. Those are fine. Um, thank you, Charles, as always, for coming to talk to us. This is Ray Campbell from the great state of Illinois. And um, I like what you said about local engagement. Um, we have a new representative because um, of a new district here and uh, where we live. So we'll definitely be reaching out to We've talked to their wash to her Washington office. We'll definitely be reaching out to her district office as well. Um, one thing you, you you mentioned some of the realities that we face. I just want to make a comment and say there's a fourth reality, and that's the courts. And um, you know the courts you know may you know tell the administration in the White House you know you can't do this or that that you want to do administratively or by executive order or whatever. Um, and that's a pretty uh, you know, interesting thing to think about. So that at least at the Supreme Court level right now, of course, it's fairly conservative. So just wanted to make sure that we got that out there, that the fourth reality really is the courts as well that we need to uh, pay attention to. Hey, that's, uh, first of all, on your on your note about your new member, um, uh, great idea to, to start early and get to know her. Obviously a very different member than your your previous member, but um, I think it's it's uh, Nick, it's it's, uh, it's it's Nikki Budzinski is her name. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, really, really good to get out there and, and chat with her. One thing I wanted to to just say on the courts, you're a thousand percent right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think more and more people are appreciating the fact that the courts play a much bigger bigger role than maybe uh, everybody thought they did, but. Um, it's not only going to be something that people need to watch, but this happens to be a time period where there's a lot of consequential cases being considered. So uh, excellent point, and, and thank you for noting it. All right. Well, thank you for again for coming and talking with us, and um, we'll go on to, I guess we'll go on to the next question. Thanks, Travis. You're welcome, Ray. And right now, that is our only hand. Do we have anybody in chat? There's no Q&A. Thank you. All right. So if you want to raise your hand on a phone, it is star nine. On a computer, it is alt Y if you're on a PC and option Y on a Mac. And hey, Travis, this is Clark Rockfall. We're just having some connectivity issues in the, the ACB office. But I would like to ask one question hey. of, of Charles here. And that's regarding uh, one of our legislative imperatives. So we had Representative Debbie Dingle join us yesterday. And she announced that she was becoming a co-sponsor of H.R. 1328, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. That is now a it's a bipartisan piece of legislation that has both the Democratic and Republican co-chairs of the Congressional, Congressional Bipartisan Disabilities Caucus as co-sponsors. I uh, just want to ask if you have any recommendations on how we can help move that bill in accessible medical equipment. I think I got most of that, Clark. 
you broke up there a little bit. Clark, you're on a wave, yes. But um, yeah, so the the um, the bill that you mentioned, the Medical Device uh, Accessibility Act, really, really good bill. It's great that Debbie Dingle joined. I know last year, I believe that there was over 60 co-sponsors of the bill um, across, you know, both both sides of the aisle, which is great. So uh, there's a good opportunity here. What I would say is, you know, this bill is um, is reported to the Energy and Commerce Committee, which has a really, really diverse set of uh, priorities that cover everything from, you know, uh, data privacy to uh, healthcare to manufacturing and and a lot of other prescription drugs and everything else. So I think you know what's really important is that you know it's great to have really good leaders on this, and your your leaders of the bill are are important on the committee. I think what's vital is just getting more people to co-sponsor the bill, because that puts it on the leadership of the committee and the leadership of the of the Congress's radar. Um, so one, get some more co-sponsors, and two, make sure that all the people on the committee are educated about it and know about it, whether a co-sponsor or not, and identify if there's any any areas out there that that maybe is somewhat problematic and be able to address those. But I think, um, you know, sort of the way that I look at a bill like this, there, there's a history to it. It's been introduced in the past. It has a really good lead who's well positioned on the committee. There, there are uh, a lot of co-sponsors on it. I think, you know, you want to try to make sure you get some some Republicans on board uh, as well. I don't know, Clark, if um, if it's bipartisan this year or not, but I, I think last year we were had some some Republicans, but not a many. So try to try to diversify that co-sponsorship list a little bit, but also just make sure that the rank and file members of the committee, whether they're on the bill or not, are favorable to it, understand it, don't have any objections and identify any objections that are out there and try to resolve them. Thanks, Charles. And it it is bipartisan with three uh, three Republican original co-sponsors here this year right. already. That's awesome. Which I think is a big big step forward from last year, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and Travis, we've got time for maybe two more questions. Definitely one. All right, we need to wait for some hands. It is clear right now. All right, then Swatha, do you have a question? Swatha, is there anything in chat? I think, I think you may be on mute, Swatha. I couldn't hear you. There's nothing in the queue. We do have a hand now. Okay, let's go to your hand. All right, Doug. You may uh, good afternoon. Um, I, I, I brought it up with uh, Representative Dingle yesterday, and I, uh, I wonder, uh, it's not one of our imperatives, um, but the... Uh, OIB funding, uh, older independent blind uh, program funding um, is an issue that's important to obviously the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss for sure. Um, uh, what chance do we have of uh, bringing that forward and getting some traction in this Congress? You know, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know that I've really studied that issue. And I think Clark may be better positioned to to answer that, one thing I would say is, 
the the one area that is going to be really difficult is anything that that requires funding even 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 funding that are traditionally at really low levels i think everything is going to get a much much stronger look this year than it has in the past because republicans have come in and said that they they want to reduce funding across the board and those cuts will have to come from somewhere and i i just think that funding is going to be really tough tough um tough ask this year it doesn't make okay. it impossible but it's tough but but doug candidly i just don't don't know much about where that where that program stands or the likelihood of it and we do have another hand thanks all right this this will be the last question for charles cooper okay matt selm yep thank you um just want to ask i know you you'd mentioned earlier that it was I mean, obviously, the, in setting up these meetings and meeting with the representatives, you know, generally we try to meet with the DC staff just because they have uh, more knowledge about policy and legislation and kind of where it's at. So I wonder if you could kind of expand a little more on the, um, you know, on meeting with the home office staff and what type of benefit or, you know, what, what that may yield. Yeah, absolutely. So, the the DC offices and the in the I'd call them like the district offices serve very very different functions. And you are right, the core legislative staff is based in Washington DC, um, and it's really important that they're aware of your issues and have all the information and hear from you, and hear from ACB, and and they will ultimately be sort of whispering in the member of Congress's ear on what to do. The, the reality, however, and I think this is something that is really across the board not appreciated. Um, the local offices are really, you know, serve two purposes. One, they have caseworkers that sort of help, help uh, be the liaison between constituents and the federal government, but they, they also have staff whose role is really to identify what the needs of their local constituency is and what do people care about. And they're the ones whose job it is to be in tune with what's happening locally. Candidly, in most of these offices, you know, a big portion of the legislative staff are not from the district. They don't go to the district. They don't know people in the district. Um, and that varies from office to office. But generally speaking, I think that's a fair statement. The, the people in the district are the ones that that talk to the constituents, that know the local leaders, that know the issues that are out there and what's important to constituents. And they voice those to the, to the DC team who theoretically takes that information and helps build their agendas or, or levels of support around it. If the DC team is hearing from their local colleagues and peers that you know this or that are really important issues, that they're gonna listen to that. And that's really important to know. Um, they want to be responsive to people back home. They want to be responsive to their constituents. And if there are constituents reaching out to the local office to brief them on an issue, there's real value in that because it it carries a lot of weight with both the member of Congress, but also the, the legislative team in D.C. All right. Great. Thank you, Charles. Um, we will now transition to our video on the CVTA that's an imperative. 
Now to provide an overview of the Communications Video and Technology Accessibility Act. Uh, a lot of times you'll just hear us refer to it as the CVTA because it's a lot shorter, um, <laughs> but also because this is a bill that would amend the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act that ACB helped pass in 2010. And that legislation was called or referred to as the CVAA. So we've gone from CVAA to CVTA. Hope it's not confusing and we hope that it's easy to remember. So the CVTA is a bill that was introduced uh, at the end of the 117th Congress by Senator Markey from Massachusetts and Representative Eshoo from California. This is a bill that seeks to amend and update the Communications and Video Accessibility Act that was passed in 2010. Uh, the, the bill from 2010, the CVAA, did an amazing job of laying an accessible technology uh, framework and groundwork. It's what brought us requirements for audio description from your top four local broadcasters and your top five cable networks. It's the, uh, the legislation that required accessible video user interfaces, um, created accessibility requirements for two-way text and two-way audio, often referred to as advanced communication services. But a long time has passed since 2010, uh, more than a decade just in real calendar time, but in terms of technology evolution, we are worlds apart where we were in 2010. Um, we are, just thinking about this now, what, we are uh, 11 iPhone generations apart of where we were in 2010. You know, our, our video and entertainment and media um, and communications habits are very different than they were back then. As a result, we need our laws and our regulations to evolve just like technology has evolved so that people who are blind and low vision uh, to make sure that we are not left behind and that we remain relevant, have the necessary communications tools and resources and so we can still be active members of the conversation and active in our community. So the Communications Video and Technology Accessibility Act, the CVTA, the bill that we want reintroduced here in the 118th Congress, this would build upon what is already required for audio description. This will build upon what is already required for accessible video user interfaces. So what do I mean by that? Well, currently broadcasters are only required to audio describe 87 and a half hours of programming per 
quarter. Uh, so roughly an hour of programming a day. Uh, last I checked, there is more than one hour in a day. There are 24. So according to the regulations, 1 24th of our programming uh, is required to be accessible. And that's not good enough. We deserve more. This is no longer uh, a young or fledgling technology. Uh, much like the requirements for closed captioning have grown and evolved, we need the same to happen with audio description. So this legislation would require all video to be audio described, whether from a broadcaster, a cable network, or online streaming providers, your Netflix, Hulu's, HBO Max, all, all the pluses, whether they're Apple TV, Disney, um, Discovery, you name Paramount. it. Exactly. Um, it would also require the user interface requirements to evolve and extend to the streaming and online environment. And we talked about accessibility requirements for text and audio communications. Well, here we are on a video conferencing platform. The rules haven't been finalized for video conferencing platforms, and yet that's what we've all been living by for the past two plus years throughout the pandemic. And not only is it used for the ACB community, but they're used for work and education and healthcare, and yes, communication and entertainment as well. And so we need to make sure that all platforms are accessible so that we have the same access as everyone else. And then the, the just two more items that I'll touch on before turning it back over to Swatha. There, there's a requirement for, uh, the FCC currently has a program called the National Deaf-Blind Equipment Distribution Program. We wanna make sure that this program is robust, that people who are deaf-blind are eligible, and that there is enough funding that they can receive the communications tools and technologies that they need to avoid uh, isolation so that they can be an active and engaged member of our community. And then finally, like we talked about last night with the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act, there's also uh, measures in the CVTA for the Federal Communications Commission to work with the U.S. Access Board to make sure that we are uh, assessing and reporting on new and emerging technologies and how that impacts uh, communications and video distribution. So we can ensure that we understand what's coming down uh, through technological in innovation and that we can address accessibility in those new and emerging technologies head on. So to you, Swatha. So what does this mean for advocacy efforts more broadly and why now, why this bill right now? So Clark uh, touched on the fact that we only have roughly an hour a day of audio scratch content on our cable providers and televisions. And that um, 
with those requirements in place, um, those are the maximum as of now that the FCC can require. So it has serious authority right as of now in what it can require of providers. And this bill, uh, not this bill, the last bill, CVAA, does not cover streamers or does not cover like online content that you find like on platforms like YouTube or um, Netflix again. So this bill would really touch on the, the how technology has changed and keep, keep pace with, with the innovations of today. Um, so this bill really empowers us to be able to have more content that we can watch and be able to access more content online and um, via video. And we've just been through a pandemic where, where, where video, video conferencing platforms like Zoom and Teams and Skype have, you know, they've been, they've become kind of universal, 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 and just they've been using it. Like, they're still being used today. Like we are on Zoom now. So, I mean, we we deserve act. We need access to these, and we this it's, it's an issue of equity. So, just like the the today would um and enhance access or provide access to the built into the digital environment, digital digital built environment, this bill would do the same just in the communication sphere. That you Clark go on anything? Thanks, Swatha. The only thing that I will add is that we need your help. We need your help getting this bill reintroduced. And that's why the Communications Video and Technology Accessibility Act is a legislative imperative again this year in the 118th Congress. Uh, so when meeting with your members of Congress, uh, be sure to tell them. Uh, tell them you want them to support and co-sponsor the CVTA once it is introduced. Um, if you have a story about not being able to access accessible video programming with audio description, share that with them. Heck, if you watched the Super Bowl and tried to flip over and get audio description and it was the Spanish language broadcast, um, that's not access, right? So let them know that not only do English speakers want to have English with audio description, um, but I'm sure the Spanish audience Spanish people, people who speak Spanish, who are low vision or blind, would want Spanish language audio description as well. So this technology exists, um, and we need to ensure that our community has access. Likewise, tell your members of Congress and any issues that you've had, that the problems that you've encountered with video conferencing services. Of course, not the ACB community, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, but video conferencing services that you've used for school, for healthcare, for employment, uh, for, geez, uh, tuning in for civic engagements. 
uh, town halls or your interactions with government. If there are inaccessible um, video services, share that information. Let them know that these requirements are necessary for the full equal participation and enjoyment of people who are blind and low vision. And Swatha, for those reasons, that's why we're encouraging everyone to support reintroduction of the CVTA. Have we lost Clark? He's muted, and so is Swatha. Yeah, they said they were having connectivity issues. Yeah, that's what I figured is going on here. Chris so hang Bell, tight, people. Chris Bell, are you there? I am. I believe you're the next session to go. Are you not? Uh, I am, and I hope that our sort of. I think I was talking over. Up uh, there we go. I'm sorry. I'm talking to Anthony So yeah, Chris Bell, let's go. Thank you, Charles, and Paul and Pat for being here. He's muted, man. Hey, folks, sorry for the, the technical difficulties that we're having here at the moment. Um, as Swatha said, big thank you to Pat Sheehan, Paul Burden from Waymap, one of our sponsors here. And for folks who are looking for the Waymap app, it is not yet available in the App Store, but it is coming soon as they deploy their technology. And of course, thank you to Charles Cooper for the overview of the political landscape here in 2023. So if we, <coughs> we have Chris Bell, we will now turn it over to him for a panel on uh, how everyone can file complaints with the federal government. Thank you, Clark. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Bell and I'm a member of the board of directors of ACB. And uh, it is my pleasure to discuss with you, and we have three agency experts here on our panel, to discuss about how to file complaints under federal disability law. Now, it's 50 years ago this year that Congress passed the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, and that law gave us Section 504 of the Civil Rights of uh, the Rehab Act and later uh, regulations that were implemented, thanks in large measure to Judy Human and the protests that she uh, ran to get the Carter administration to issue the regulations. And since the Rehab Act was passed, we also had Public Law 94142, 
which has become the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And of course, then we had the Americans with Disabilities Act. All of these are very important disability and civil rights laws. The truth, however, is that these laws are not self-enforcing. They are words on paper, important words to be sure, but only words on paper. The only people who can truly enforce our rights is us. And we do that by filing complaints with the appropriate federal agency. So this afternoon, we have three individuals responsible at three agencies for part of the processing of ADA information, ADA complaints. And the first speaker I would like to introduce is Jessica Hunt from the Department of Justice Disability Rights Section. And I'm gonna ask Jessica to introduce herself and to talk a little bit about uh, her experience and the number of complaints justice gets under the ADA provisions for public and state uh, governments and public accommodations. Uh, take it away, Jessica. Thank you, Chris. Good afternoon, everybody. As Chris said, my name is Jessica Hunt, and I am the Supervisory Accessibility Specialist at the U.S. Department of Justice in the Disability Rights Section. What does that mean? That means that I oversee the department's ADA information line, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But prior to joining Justice in 2021, I was the attorney advisor for the D.C. Office of Disability Rights, and I've been working in the disability rights field and with disability discrimination complaints for all of my career in the public sector. Now to talk about DRS and how to file a complaint with us and what we um, what the lay of the land looks like for our agency. The U.S. Department of Justice has jurisdiction over two titles of the ADA, Title II and Title III. Title II covers state and local governments and protects people with disabilities from discrimination when they're accessing state or local government programs, services, or activities. And Title II also requires that state or local government agencies make reasonable modifications in their policies, practices, and procedures to allow people with disabilities to participate. So what does this mean? How are you protected under Title II of the ADA? Here are a couple of quick examples. Title II of the ADA would protect someone bringing their task-trained service dog into a government building, like a courthouse or like your local DMV, or onto public transportation. It would also protect someone requesting alternate formats of government documents or correspondence when that person requests documents be made available in Braille or electronically for use with a screen reader. Title II would protect you when you request assistance with voting, whether through curbside service, electronic ballot, or other means. And of course, those are only a few examples. Title III of the ADA covers places of public accommodation and commercial facilities. This title protects a person with a disability from discrimination when accessing a business's goods and services. It also requires businesses to make reasonable modifications in their policies, practices, and procedures to allow people with disabilities access. 
So how are you protected under Title III? Some examples of this are, of course, you're protected when bringing your service dog into a business or onto private transportation. You're also protected when requesting assistance to access goods inside a store, play the lottery at a, at a store counter, retrieve things from a shelf, or request that bills or invoices are given to you in a format you can understand. Both Titles II and III of the ADA require that state and local governments and businesses like hotels, restaurants, and healthcare providers do what is required to make their buildings and facilities physically accessible to and usable by people with disabilities. All new construction as of March 2012 is required to be accessible with the 2010 standards for accessible design. If you have questions and are unsure whether your situation falls under Title II or Title III of the ADA, you can contact the department's ADA information line. The Disability Rights Section Technical Assistance Unit operates the ADA information line, which is the signature component of our technical assistance program. There are eight accessibility specialists who staff the information line and take calls from business owners, state and local government employees, and people with disabilities to assist them in understanding rights and obligations. We can answer, answer questions concerning Titles 2 and 3, the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design, and the ADA's interactions with other disability and civil rights laws. Specialists also may assist members of the public by providing information on how to file a complaint with the department. Also, if you need assistance in filing your complaint due to your disability, specialists on the ADA information line can work with you to make sure your complaint is entered into our online complaint portal for processing. We also respond to written mail received by the section from individuals who may be currently incarcerated or who may not have the capability of communicating with us through a computer. We provide access to DOJ publications and guidance in alternate formats to individuals who may not be able to access our material online due to their disability or the digital divide. Now for a few statistics that you might be interested in. In fiscal year 2022, which is October 1st, 2021 to September 30th, 2022, ADA specialists responded to nearly 30,000 calls. Our most common callers included people with disabilities, their friends and family, advocates, businesses, and architects. The most common questions we addressed included questions about service animals, housing, employment, healthcare, and questions around architectural accessibility and design. From 2020 to present, we've addressed over 8,000 calls regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and its continued effects on all of our lives, including access to state and local government programs, services and activities, education, employment, and access to healthcare. Data gathered from our calls over the past year has been used in developing the new ADA.gov and if you haven't gone to our new website, please check it out and give us your feedback so that we can help the section continue to address the importance, items of importance for the general public through technical assistance and guidance. If you decide to file a complaint with the department <clears throat> based on your disability, you may do so at our website through the online complaint portal by mail or by fax. There are 10 individuals who work in our intake unit, and DRS receives over 30,000 complaints each year and reviews each complaint we receive. Of the complaints we received last year, over two-thirds dealt with issues under Title III. Once we have reviewed your complaint, we will respond to you in writing. 
there are a few avenues your complaint could take once we receive it. It could be referred to our mediation program or to another federal agency that may handle the issues raised by your complaint. We could also contact you for more information about your complaint to help us determine whether we're able to investigate it. Unfortunately, we don't have the resources to take on every complaint we receive, but even if we don't take on your complaint, you would still have the right to take your case to federal court. We wanna hear from you. If you have an ADA question or issue, or are not sure whether you want to file a complaint, please call us. Our specialists are available to speak with you about how the ADA may apply to your situation. We're available on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 9.30 to 12, also on Friday at that time, and again from 3 to 5.30. On Thursdays, we're available from 2.30 to 5.30 p.m. All times are Eastern time. We can be reached at 1-800-514-0301 or 1-833-610-1264. And that's our TTY. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jessica. So I do have a couple of questions for you. Sure. Of those 30,000 complaints that you get under Titles 2 and 3, um, can you give me a sense of, of how many or what percentage of those the department uh, accepts and investigates? I wouldn't be able to give you a number offhand. That would be something I'd have to get back to you with. Okay. And do you have any information about the number of people who are blind or visually impaired who file? We don't typically separate complaints in that manner. Um, when they're recorded in our database, we actually separate them based on what title uh, the issues may apply to. Okay, um, thanks very much. So our next panelist is Suzanne Catrosa of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's Office of Field Programs. Suzanne, take it away, introduce yourself and tell us about your job and what the Office of Field Programs does. Hello everyone, my name is Suzanne Catrosa and I am the National CRTIU Coordinator for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. A CRTIU is just an acronym, it's for our charge or seat unit. So basically I'm the intake coordinator, coordinating with the uh, intake supervisors throughout the 53 offices we have across the country. Um, I work at headquarters in the field management programs. We're basically a liaison um, department between the field offices and the headquarter departments to try to make sure we communicate throughout the agency and uh, everybody's on the same page. So the EEOC um, enforces several laws, you know, Title VII, uh, the Equal Pay Act, uh, Pregnancy Discrimination Act, Age Discrimination and Employment, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, and of course, Title I of the ADA. Um, in general, uh, our coverage of the ADA uh, covers you know, private employers um, to prevent them from discriminating against a qualified individual on the basis of a disability in regard to job applicant procedures, hiring, uh, promotion or advancement, uh, discharge, compensation, uh, job training, other terms and conditions of employment and privileges of employment, reasonable accommodation as well. Um, to 
file with our agency, um, the easiest way is to go through our public portal. When you go onto eeoc.gov, you can click um, under employees and job applicants, and it will provide you a link to our public portal. We also have an 800 number, our intake information group, and that's 800-669-4000. They can also provide you assistance, walk you through the coverage that we have, what we can and can't do for you, maybe refer you to a different agency if it's not something that we cover, and connect you with an office if you need an accommodation. Inside the public portal, there's a three-step process. The first is a screening process where it just asks you some jurisdictional questions uh, to let you know whether you're in the right place, right agency. Once you determine that you wanna continue with the process, you register in our portal with some unique credentials and um, schedule an appointment. That's the third stage. Also through our public portal, you can sign your charge electronically online. You can upload documents, uh, anything that we need to do, but you'll speak with, at, at least the process is now, you speak with an investigator before the filing of your charge, charge is drafted for you. And then um, once you sign it, we'll serve notice to the company, to the respondent within 10 days. There are time limits for filing a charge. Uh, 180 days is standard, but if your state uh, has a state or local agency that enforces the same uh, laws in a local discrimination law, um, then our 180 days is expanded to 300 days. And that's most, throughout most of the country, there are, I think, a handful of states that may have 180 days and some states that are split with, you know, state employees, you know, with 180 days and private employers uh, with 300 days. It gets a little complicated. Um, when we think about it in those terms, but the public portal will, will counsel you through all that information once you put in, in your, your information. Um, the best approach is to start the process as soon as possible. Once you realize that you've been discriminated against or, or you feel you're going to be subject to discrimination, it's best to start the process there and contact us. Um, when you do contact us and speak with representatives, it's um, easiest for you to go through the process kind of chronologically, prepare your, your documents, make sure you have all the um, details of your story, who you spoke with, who were your witnesses, who were comparators that may be able to support your claim that you were treated differently because of a disability. Um, everyone has the right to file a charge. You'll not be denied the ability to file a charge. Even if during the interview, the investigator explains to you that there's no violation of the ADA, but once you sign the charge, it's important to realize that the company will then be notified that you've now signed a charge of discrimination. Um, you can file with a state and local fair employment practice agency. A lot of people go from our agency to a state and a state and local employment practice agency, but we have a work share agreement with many of them. So if you file with one, we're cross we're cross filing with the with the other, so we're not doing a duplicative of work. Um, and let's see, let me talk about our mediation program as well. Once you file a charge of discrimination, uh, one of the first opportunities we afford you, um, and this is a voluntary process, not a mandatory process, is, is ADR, alternative dispute resolution or mediation. So what we do at that particular point is invite the company to, to uh, participate in mediation. 
if they're agreeable, then we'll send you the invitation. We'll set up a date, talk through the process. If we're lucky and it mediates and both parties are satisfied with the outcome, that's the end of the process. If not, it will go into the enforcement process as if mediation never happened. It's just a separate little process that we, that we offer. Many people don't take us up on it, which is surprising, but it is an actual very, very good program. Um, I don't have data for 2022 or fiscal year 2022, but I do have data for 2021 fiscal year. Um, the agency received approximately 173 or 174,000 uh, inquiries. Of those inquiries, about 63,500 uh, of them turned into charges. That's about 36% of the inquiries received that actually turned into charges. Um, they were handled uh, in fiscal year 2021 by about 442 available investigators. Of those 63,500 charges, approximately 22,800 of those were ADA charges. And 1.6% of those ADA charges or approximately 370 individuals were, from indivi were individuals with vision impairments. Historically, looking back in previous years, it's been closer to 2% of our ADA complaints being people with low vision or, or uh, vision impairments, but um, last year it was 1.6%. Collectively, our ADA charges uh, resolve in approximately 10% resolved in settlements. We have withdrawals with benefits, which are about, about the same. Uh, admin closures, about 20% not cause, meaning not reasonable cause, we were not able to uh, determine that discrimination had happened, about 61%, and reasonable cause where we were able to prove discrimination happened, about 3%. Of those 3%, successful conciliations where we negotiate on your behalf with the agency being a third party to the conciliation, um, about a third of those uh, were successful, um, possibly two thirds were unsuccessful. Primary allegations we get from people with uh, vision impairments are a reasonable accommodation or a company's failure to provide a reasonable accommodation, some terms and conditions of employment, and of course, discharge. Um, I have two recent cases I can bring to your attention. Hill and Dairy uh, was ordered to pay 140,000 in January of 2023 for allegedly refusing to hire an applicant due to a vision impairment. The applicant was initially offered the position at its plant, but the offer was withdrawn after a standard post-offer medical exam. The doctor concerned was concerned that the disability posed safety issues after a simple vision test. But what the doctor never did was actually meet with the applicant, examine the applicant, or discuss whether any reasonable accommodations might have been possible. And if in fact there were any valid safety issues. Uh, there was a second settlement with Red Roof Inn to pay over $43,000 and that was in December of 22 uh, for allegedly failing to provide a blind employee who worked at their contact center with a reasonable accommodation so that the employee could participate in a seminar to learn more about promotional opportunities. That's a, that falls under the benefits and privileges of employment. Um, the employee was also refused, um, was also not allowed to compete 
for a position and was discouraged from, um, from applying for other positions and was told that there were no accommodations possible in any of the positions, uh, promotional positions that they applied for. I think those are the only two recent ones that I'm, uh, uh, that I have any knowledge of, but I'm happy to answer any questions, Chris. Well, thanks, um, Suzanne. I do have a few questions. So um, can you give me some idea uh, when a, a case uh, has been found to have merit that there's been discrimination in violation of the ADA and conciliation fails, that is to say there's no settlement, um, mm -hmm. how many lawsuits under Title I of the ADA does EEOC typically file in a, uh, in a fiscal year? Um, I don't have that number for you. I did ask OLC, our Office of Legal Counsel, for that number, and they haven't gotten back to me. Um, but I don't think it's many. Um, like I said, 1.6 of our charges come from those with, with vision impairments, and only 3% of those are found to have, uh, have been a violation. And then a third of those are successfully conciliated. So somewhere, and I can guesstimate at the number, but I, I really don't want to do that. Approximately two thirds of those unsuccessful conciliations would go to our legal department for review and to, to determine whether or not it is something that the commission will litigate on behalf of the charging party. Um, but I don't think it's it's the majority, certainly of, of any of the cases that we, we litigate. Okay. and. Um... So uh, when the, if the EEOC doesn't file suit, um, what rights do the uh, person who's been found to have been discriminated have to file their own lawsuit, get their own lawyer and, and file an ADA lawsuit? Okay, so every charging party that um, files with us, they, um, when, if we close their case or we, we have an unsuccessful conciliation, then they're issued what we call a notice of right to sue. It's basically a permission slip to go through the courts with your private attorney. Um, it's good for 90 days. You're able during that 90 days to get a copy of your investigative file. And uh, you go from there. Now at any point during the investigation, even at the intake stage, if, if the whole reason that you're filing is just to get the notice of right to sue, you wanna go right to court, you're able to do that. You can request that notice of right to sue at any stage during the investigative process. But certainly if we dismiss your case for not cause, you'll get one. And if we, um, even if we've issued cause and there's an unsuccessful conciliation, you'll get a notice of right to sue so you can continue to pursue that case through the course of the program. Great, so let me just uh, sum up. Uh, you have, there's a time limit for filing a charge, which you must meet which uh, at a minimum is 180 days, but in many states, it's 300 days. If you file a timely charge, then at uh, any point you can request a right to sue letter, and then you have 90 days to file a lawsuit. Correct. So um, I happen to know that EEOC has some priorities for its enforcement efforts under the ADA, some areas where they want to uh, focus their 
enforcement efforts. Can you um, describe some of those? Um, you mean like our district complement plans, that type of thing? I think they vary. Um, they, they, they vary between the districts and the local uh, enforcement complaints. I don't know that there's a specific um, ADA focus that we've had. We've had um, a tough year with vaccine mandates recently in the last, the last two, three years. Um, so we've really kind of focused on, on moving those through the system, but I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not aware that we've focused our ADA uh, priorities on any particular group of individuals with a disability. Okay, well, one, one, I know one priority that's always there is retaliation. In other words, if oh, you file a complaint against your current employer and they say, that was a very nice thing to do, you're fired, um, that's a violation of the law. And that's something that EEOC does take very seriously because that undercuts uh, people's rights to file charges. That's correct, um, and that's across the board. That's not just under the ADA. Right. Um, that's right. With, you know, basically all the laws that we enforce. It's called protected activity. So it, it's not just having filed a charge. For example, if you complain about a process uh, within your company and you complain that the reason you're being treated differently is because of your protected class, whether that be you know gender or or a disability and they retaliate against you specifically because of your complaint within the company, that is still protected activity as well. And of course, filing a charge of discrimination, once the company is sort of noticed that they take an action against you, that's a very clear cut uh, retaliatory um, investigation. Right, well, thank you very uh, much, Suzanne. Now it is time to hear from Timothy Wynn and, Timothy uh, works for the Federal Communication Commission. Now, they don't have any role under the Americans with Disabilities Act, but they enforce the 21st Century Cable and Video Accessibility Act, the CVAA. And so, uh, Timothy, if you would uh, step up here and introduce yourselves and maybe, often maybe talk a little bit about the CVAA, and, uh, and how the FCC enforces it with regard to complaints from folks with disabilities. Sure, thank you so much for having me. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Timothy Wynn, and I am a telecommunications accessibility specialist at the Disability Rights Office, DRO, of the Federal Communications Commission, FCC. Now, before I go on, I would like to make sure that uh, you all know that I am speaking as an FCC representative today, meaning that um, because I do have some activities with the ACB's audio description project, um, I do have uh, affiliations with that. But in today's presentation, my, uh, my role here is as a federal employee. And as Chris mentioned earlier, uh, our mandates and our rules and regulations primarily focus on the CVAA, the 21st Century Video and Communication Accessibility Act. And um, so we're going to kind of focus today on how to file a disability-related complaint at the FCC. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, talk briefly about what else our office does. Um, the Disability Rights Office works to improve accessibility for people with disabilities in the following programs and services. Audio description of television programs, 
closed captioning on television and the internet, emergency information on television, television and set-top box controls, menus and program guides, hearing aid-compatible phones, national deafblind equipment distribution program, real-time text, telecommunication relay services, telephone services and equipment, advanced communication services such as email, text messaging, and internet chat, and uh, internet browsers built into mobile phones. Now, that's quite a bit of uh, areas that we cover, but um, our office also uh, includes rulemaking proceedings, informal complaint resolution, and outreach efforts. Our office, even though we cover so much, we're pretty small in size. Uh, we have just over a dozen employees, and we have attorneys who draft regulations and are involved in the rulemaking process. We have subject matter experts who can apply and interpret our rules to a consumer situation. We have consumer engagement team who corresponds with consumers through answering general inquiries and assist to a file process and serve complaints. In fact, consumer engagement is one of my primary roles at the FCC. We are not going to cover every single topic listed earlier, but if you have questions about any of these topics, please email us at dro at fcc.gov or you can call us at 202-418-2517 or 844-432-2275 for our video ASL line. The Disability Rights Office receives two types of complaints. One complaint is called Requests for Dispute Assistance, or RDA, which can be used in cases where a person with a disability cannot access certain telecommunication services and equipment and advanced communication services and equipment. In these RDAs, the FCC facilitates a resolution between the complainant, usually a consumer, and a covered entity, which is usually a company. We work with both parties for 30 days. If they cannot come to a agreed upon resolution, the parties can extend the discussions by another 30 days, or the consumer can file a complaint with the Enforcement Bureau. Before we talk about the 30-day extensions, let's talk a little bit about the areas in which you can file an RDA. There are a limited number of issues that can be filed as an RDA. So let's start with telecommunication services and equipment. Telecommunication services and equipment must be accessible and usable if readily achievable. In other words, it has to be possible. Telecommunication services include regular telephone, telephone calls, call waiting, speed dialing, call forwarding, computer-provided directory assistance, call monitoring, caller identification, call tracing and repeat dialing, and voicemail and interactive voice response systems that provide callers with menus of choices. Equipment includes devices and associated apps that, that are used to provide telecommunication services, such as telephones, computers, tablets, and mobile phones. The RDA also uh, covers advanced communication services and equipment, that's called ACS, 
and ACS includes four categories. First, interconnected voice over internet protocol service, VOIP, such as home phone service provided by an internet service provider. Second, non-interconnected VOIP service, such as using a computer to engage in voice communication over the internet. Third, electronic messaging service, such as text messaging or email. And fourth, interoperable video conferencing service provided through telephones, computers, and apps. And that's kind of the platform we're on right now on Zoom. Uh, in addition, uh, telecommunication and ACS companies must provide access to support services such as technical support hotlines and databases, call centers, service centers, repair services, and billing services. Finally, internet browsers installed by manufacturers on equipment used for ACS must be accessible and usable for individuals with disabilities unless doing so is not achievable. All right, so to sum up, the RDA process is only available for accessibility concerns regarding telecommunications, advanced communication services and equipment, and mobile phone internet browsers. Any complaint outside those three areas are covered through the informal complaint process. The informal complaint process covers a wide range of topics, as we touched upon earlier. These complaints are sent to covered entities for them to provide a response and to provide assurance that they are in compliance with the relevant rules. For example, uh, audio description pass-through requirements, how emergency information must be accessible, and what kind of access is required for TVs and set-top boxes. Now that we have a very broad overview of what areas are covered by the RDA and informal complaints, let's talk a little bit about their respective processes and timeframes. If you choose to file an RDA, and once we have sufficient information, FCC staff will work with you and the company for at least 30 days to try to resolve your accessibility concern. We do this by focusing the two parties on the facts. Uh, in other words, we try to not talk about the legal side too much because we are not in a position to make a determination of law, only that there is a sufficient allegation and we are here to see if we can resolve it in the next 30 days. If not resolved in 30 days, you and the company can agree to extend the RDA by an additional 30-day period. And this can continue to happen until the issues are resolved. Uh, to, and, and, um, or you can file an informal complaint with the FCC's Enforcement Bureau, EB. If you take no action within 60 days, your accessibility case will be closed. If you choose to file an informal complaint with the FCC's Enforcement Bureau, FCC staff will assist you to file a complaint with the EB. Note that filing an informal complaint with the EB is different from filing an informal, an informal complaint for non-RDA matters. I know this is a little confusing, but um, just remember that filing an RDA uh, 
uh, filing an informal complaint with the EB can only happen after filing an RDA. In other words, the RDA is a 30-day pit stop on the way to filing an informal complaint. The other major difference when filing an informal complaint with the EB is that our office can no longer work with you or the company to try and resolve the accessibility concern. And the only role of the EB is to determine whether or not a company is in violation of our accessibility rules. Based on facts presented to, to um, the EB uh, by you and the company. If the company is found to be in violation of our rules, they can be um, fined um, and which is paid to the Department of Treasury. Uh, to date, only two RDAs have gone to the EB because generally most consumers and companies will always wish to reach an agreement unless one of the parties is being unreasonable. If you choose to file an informal complaint for a non-RDA issue, once we have sufficient information, the complaint will be sent to the company and they have 30 days to respond to us and to you. After we review the company's response, we may take further action. For example, we may ask for more information from either you or the company. We may send your complaint to a different company, or we may conclude that the company's addressed the problem and close your complaint. If you are not satisfied with the company's response, please contact us within 30 days of receiving the company's response to request further consideration. So you're kind of thinking, these are all about informal complaints. And you're saying, wait, you know, you keep mentioning that. Is there a formal complaint process? Well, thanks for that wonderful, excellent question. Uh, if you are not satisfied with the response to your informal complaint, you can file a formal complaint. Your formal complaint must be filed within six months of the, the date of the response to your informal complaint. The current fee for filing a formal complaint is $540, but it is subject to change. There is no fee for filing an informal complaint. So keep that in mind. Uh, the formal complaint proceedings are similar to court proceedings. Each party must comply with specific procedural rules, appear before the FCC, and file documents that address legal issues. Parties filing, filing formal complaints usually are represented by lawyers or experts in communication law and FCC's procedural rules. No attorney fees may be awarded. And to date, you know, we have never heard of someone filing a formal complaint for our accessibility issues. Regardless if you file an RDA or informal complaint, private, right, private rights of action are prohibited. In other words, you cannot take a company to court based on your complaint and monetary damages are not part of the resolution. Okay, so now I know about the RDA and informal complaint processes. How do I actually go and file one? Uh, anyone with an email address can submit an informal complaint or RDA by going to fcc.gov 
forward slash accessibility complaint form or fcc.gov forward slash RDA form. We are aware that these forms currently have some accessibility issues, particularly for screen reader users. But if you choose to go through this route, uh, please note that the FCC always sends an email to you to let you know that your submission that your submission has been received. If you did not receive such an email, then it is highly likely that the form was not successfully submitted, and you should reach out to us. Our complaint form uses an accessibility overlay uh, called AudioEye to make it accessible. We are aware that it can introduce accessibility barriers, and I have it under the good authority that we are in the process of getting rid of the AudioEye overlay. It is not our department that, that uh, works on these uh, on removing the overlay, but we want it gone just as much as you do. Um, there was a lot of information presented right now uh, today, and we didn't even get to talk about what information is required for each complaint area or how our rules apply to your situation. Uh, but the bottom line is, please contact us if you think you have an issue that can be handled by our office, and we will be more than happy to work with you. You can call us at 202-418-2517, or you can call our video phone line for ASL users at 844-432-2275. That's 844 844- FCC for ASL. Uh, or you can email us at dro at fcc.gov. That's Delta Romeo Oscar at foxtrot charlie charlie dot golf Oscar Victor. And one of our staff will assist you in filing a complaint or check if your complaint was successfully submitted or address your general inquiry. If you think your inquiry or issue might be related to our the areas that we just mentioned earlier in the informal complaint or RDA processes, but they're not currently covered by our rules, then feel free to submit a public comment via our electronic comment filing system, ECFS. Whether you're filing an informal complaint, RDA, or public comment, your advocacy efforts can and does shape rulemakings, orders, public notices, and reports to Congress, which have a direct impact on the level of access people have to television, telecommunications, and other means by which people send, receive, and consume content. Since the start of the pandemic, the amount of complaints we get each year has more than doubled. In 2019, for example, we received 601 complaints. 2020, 
the specific uh, rules that we're talking about. So my best guess uh, would be that blind or visually impaired issues would be about 10% of our complaints. Uh, keep in mind that uh, we also administer the NDP-EDP, which is a National Deaf-Blind Equipment Distribution Program. Uh, most of our complaints are related to closed captioning, um, and it's about 40% of that. Uh, then telecommunication relay services complaints are about 20%, and the rest of it is spread out among many other rules. In addition to the contact information we gave earlier, uh, we have an email announcements list called Access Info. Access Info is a simple way to keep informed about all the commission's accessibility and disability news. We will keep you updated on proposed rulemakings, orders, public notices, news releases, etc. We also have our accessibility consumer guides, which gives you more details about all the accessibility areas as well as information needed for a complaint. All this can be found on our website at fcc.gov forward slash accessibility. And it has links to information on our consumer guides, following up uh, public comment or consumer complaint, and resources for each program and service that we are involved in. If you wanted to file an informal complaint for other matters, that is covered by the FCC, but not the DRO, such as a bill that is too high, please go to fcc.gov forward slash complaints or call 888-225-5322. That's 888-CALL-FCC, which is 225-5322. Again, please feel free to reach out to us and even if we are unable to assist you, we can refer you to the FCC or another federal agency such as the EEOC or DOJ that we just had uh, uh, presentations from. Or uh, you can always call us at 202-418-2517, 844-432-2275 for our video phone line, or you can email us at DRO at FCC.gov. Thank you. Thank you, Timothy. So I have a question for all three of you. Um, do, does the information that you have on your website include information that is in language other than English, such as Spanish and other languages? If you can just briefly say yes or no, uh, that would be helpful because I think it's important that we uh, consider people of, uh, that are uh, not necessarily uh, English pro proficient. Timothy, yes, how about you? Does you? Do you have Spanish language uh, information? Yes, we have Spanish language among other languages, as well as uh, our video ASL library, which uh, does it in ASL as well. Thank you. Uh, Suzanne, uh, how about uh, EEOC? Do you have a uh, Spanish language material and material in other languages? Uh, yes and no. We think we have some general information in, I think, the ma major nine languages. And we do have a, a fillable Spanish um, inquiry form on our EEOC.gov. Our public portal, however, is only in English, and we are working to correct that. It's a 
it's a long process. There's a lot of screens and we have to work with a vendor, but we are working to correct that. And we're working to increase accessibility as well. It's one of the priorities of the chair. Okay. And Jessica Hunt, how about you? How, how about the Department of Justice? Do you have Spanish language materials and materials in other uh, languages? Yes, we do have um, Spanish language materials on our website as well as um, what, uh, materials in the big, the major nine languages on our website as well, general materials. Great. So um, we heard from Timothy that the FCC's um, has a has a fine for uh, major non-compliance, which I think you told me was a million dollars, but that money doesn't go to individuals. If you file under the employment provisions of the ADA, I'm just going to steal a march here on on uh, <coughs> on Suzanne. Um, you can get uh, back pay. Uh, you can get damages of up to three hundred thousand um, dollars for depending on the size of the employer. I forget now what the size of the employer is. Suzanne, you can tell me. Um, and also out-of-pocket expenses and attorney's fees. What I'm less clear on, Jessica, is um, what kind of remedies are available under Title II and Title III complaints? Perhaps you can give us a brief thumbnail. Uh, well, under Title II and Title III, the goal of resolving those complaints is more to resolve the discrimination and less about monetary damages. Um, occasionally, there will be, if there is a settlement reached, sometimes an entity, a covered entity may be fined an amount based on the discrimination. But the major goal of filing a complaint under ADA Title II or Title III would be to rectify the discrimination and not so much for monetary or punitive damages. Right, but under Title III, I know when we were negotiating the ADA with the Bush administration, uh, we didn't get a private right of action for damages that could be brought by individuals, but the attorney general can file suit and seek damages on behalf of an aggrieved individual. Yes, um, that is correct that the attorney general can file suit, yes. Right, it's only the attorney general or the Department of Justice. And of course, there is a provision for a fine uh, which I think the amount has increased about $100,000 for the first incident. Um, okay, it, I don't know how much more time we have because I didn't look at my watch when we started. But uh, if we have time for questions, uh, let's open it up. You're uh, actually we'll... out of time. Oh, damn. All right. Well, I'm sorry. You have less than a um, minute. Okay. Well, uh, I want to thank our three panelists. And uh, stay tuned to make sure you watch the Fair Housing uh, panel, uh, because uh, housing discrimination is another big federal issue, and I think you will learn a lot from that. And thank you very much, uh, Timothy, Suzanne, and Jessica, for agreeing to participate in our leadership conference. Hope you have a great thank day. Thank you. Take Anytime. Care. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having us. Thanks. All right. Cindy, are you there? I don't see her. I am. Oh, there oh, she is. Good. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I I, I had to come in on my phone. Um oh. it would not let me in. So, but you know what? I'm here. You're here. Yay. I am. <laughs> so, uh, 
but I know you could have handled it without me, Lucy. But um, I just, I would have missed you, you know? Thank you. I'm so glad. Uh, but welcome back to the next connection show. This is like second to the last one. My God. <laughs> oh, it. Oh. Um, so we are going to hear from the Get Up and Get Moving campaign or committee, excuse me. Yes. Uh, so uh, who do we have here? Is Leslie here? Is is I am here. Yeah. Hello, Hi. Hey, Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Is Hi. here with you? There's Connie. There's Connie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> my my cohort kicking Connie's with me. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Connie, what is what is your name, Les? I am laughing, Leslie. Yes. La laughing, Leslie. You know, laughter. <laughs> if laughter is good ex I believe laughter is good exercise. It I have is. to tell you. There yes. have been times that I have been talking with a friend and I will just full body laughter, uh, like yeah. muscles <laughs> tighten. And yep. afterward, I'm mm. like, what did I just do? My back, my stomach, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I had to it's, a exercise, right? it's a good workout. It's a good, you remember my yeah. sister? Cindy, you remember oh, my sister? She could laugh. Oh my God. Could she laugh? Oh my, and that belly roll laugh she had. Oh God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh. So easy to get into a good laugh. And it, or like, like it. Like ROFL uh, laughing, rolling on the floor laughing. Yes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, ladies. We're, I love it. Tell, all right. tell us what you want to tell us. <laughs> ah, all right, Connie, take it away and I'll chime in. So all right. Well, um, we are the Get Up and Get Moving Committee now instead of the campaign, but we are a committee. Um, I want to say who our committee members are. We have Tom Tobin as our chair, and then, of course, Leslie Spoon, and then we have Terry Soraz, myself, and then Dan Dillon. We can't forget our wonderful Dan Dillon. I know, <laughs> yeah. And then our staff, we have um, Joel and Bailey Page. And then our staff liaison is Clark Raffall. So we're a small committee, but we're looking at doing some changes, right, Leslie? We're kind of in that. We process. are. We're all about that. Get it? Or what is it? Move, who moved my cheese? Who moved my cheese? Yeah, who moved my cheese? Yep. I'm reading it, but but it's it's an interesting read. I, I there's no chapter, so I'm, I was a little confused, and then I fell asleep, so I got to rewind. <laughs> oh no, no, that's not good, Leslie. <laughs> it's really interesting. She fell asleep. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Not sure, I'm not sure which mouse I am. I'm the sleepy mouse, maybe. <laughs> oh, and I um, want to recognize but yeah, we, we we are looking to embellish our committee. So if you're interested, reach out to Dan Spoon or Tom Tobin. Yeah, so you know, we're kind of in that transition. So um, but I think we're moving forward. We've got a good committee. And I want to recognize our health heroes. You know, we have some wonderful health heroes. We have Walmart. We have the American Printing House for the Blind and Nike. And, you know, Nike and um, Walmart were there during the, um, the walk last year for the bridge walk. So, you know, American Printing House, of course, of the blind. But, you know, they are such a great support and for us. So um, we just want to make sure we recognize them because who would we be without them? Right, Leslie? Right. And Connie, I was going to say the lady from Nike, her name's escaping me. Um, Megan but, Lauren, Lawrence. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I knew you would know that. Great. Um, 
so she was really a go-getter for us at, in Omaha um, at a convention because she came to the, the tailgate party that we had before the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. And then she was she was at the bridge walk and she actually walked people on the bridge. Um, I know she Eric did. said she was really engaged with us. Really, really nice lady. So yeah, very engaged. I mean, she was so excited. You know, I took the group picture and stuff because Dennis was busy, you know, and she was so engaged. You know, she loved it. Um, she was posting stuff on, you know, Nike's social media and stuff. So um, promoting ACB. Yeah, so, so that's really cool. So yay. Yeah. So and Walmart was there in the in the exhibit hall on Wednesday. Sorry, Connie. Yep, that's they cool. were there. Yeah. So so, but yeah, so you know, one of the things that Get Up and Get Moving does is sponsors Leslie's. Um, you know, Leslie's our guru for exercise. You know, we kind of joke, and I I've been listening to Lucy and Cindy talking about those arm curls. With the that. arm curls, are you guys doing your arm curls? <laughs> getting, Lucy, getting arm curls. Cindy, no. getting, getting ready, getting ready, yes, gonna flap your wings tomorrow, Cindy, when we yes, get on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. You have but, to do those you know, arm curls and do you know. the arm curls. And if you flap your wings out and in, you know, arms are out and in, you're doing your shoulders as you're yeah. flying. There yeah. you go. So yeah. work that yeah. chest, work those shoulders as you're flying, and then elbow bump. Nobody's the, gonna the look at me. Nobody's <laughs> gonna right. look at me funny, right? No, no not oh, at no. all. Of course you're not. gonna get everyone else joining in. Yeah, they might want to know what you're doing. You say I'm working out. <laughs> yeah. I'm just getting that muscles going and getting that heart rate up. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so, uh, you know, if you're not involved in the community, oh my goodness, you guys are missing it. So many things. Cindy Hollis is the guru of the community and Lucy, I, I can't commend them enough. It's been so, so cool. You know, thank you, Cindy. I mean, you have just turned my life around. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it's cool to have Lucy on as a host, all the hosts that we have and the facilitators. It's so cool. And all my classes that I do, I love to do for everybody. I'm missing my peeps this week. I got to tell you. So uh, <laughs> I added a Tuesday night happy hour card. So if, yeah, if you guys, yeah, I was going to say that, you if know, you're bored and you want to, and you've been sitting all day, you know, you come to happy hour. It's just tonight. Um, just this week, we'll be back to normal Friday happy hour, but tonight it's happy hour at seven 30. So we're having a happy hour at seven 30. So come and get off your duffs and uh, work out with us or just come and chat. Hey, you can I, turn on my radio show at eight while you're working out. Okay. We'll do it. <laughs> I, love, I love that you, Leslie, uh, decided, even though you couldn't do your regular programming because of the leadership conference, you found a way to sneak one of those in in the evening, and it just made my heart happy. Oh, you know, you make my heart happy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't say enough. I tell my sighted friends every day when we walk every day and have our coffee, they're like, are you teaching at four? And I've tried to get them on. You know, I'm like, come on. I've even sent them the invite, you know, and everything. So, um, and they're like, well, you know, you work us too hard in the morning. And I'm like, well, you could come on and laugh with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been an honor, my friend to do it. And, and I'm excited about doing happy hour Cardi. You, you never know. I might try and sneak it in once a month on a Tuesday. So, you know, me yeah. she can never get enough <laughs> exercise. You know, that's the thing is, you know, it's, it's, she's always going. And the big thing is that buddy system. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The buddy system is let's let's get going and do that buddy system. For yeah, sure. That's fun. Gotta have the buddy system. Yep. So. It, it's accountability partners, right? So it is. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, it's so. not like competition. It's just accountability. It's like, you know, just encouraging, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so fun. And when you're in DC party. and you want to work out with Don and I come to the gym, we'll be in there, you know, before you start sitting on your booties all day long. <laughs> you know and during the rally we could skip you know and hop and yeah and yeah. dance and, and dance, dance yeah dance yeah dance the the road, is you know? really good too right yes yeah. yes dance 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 so it's very cool there's lots you can do you don't have to i know a lot of people say oh my god it oh we're talking about workout again oh no but you know it's all about laughter like you said cindy when we started talking in the beginning Even if you just call something up, you start laughing and you're marching in place. Oh my gosh, you're burning some calories. You are, you know, and laughter gets so much release out of you. Stress, you know, yeah, it's just such a wonderful thing to do. So it's good for your mental health as well. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, And and anybody can be a health hero. You know, you don't have to give fiduciary just so y'all know um, time, time, our talent. We take that also, huh, Connie? Yes, we do. Definitely. So go for it, Leslie. You know, we are, you know, that's, that's the thing is that people don't realize what it means just to be supportive and, you know, get out there and support each other. And, you know, that's why we love our Dan Dillon. He's always so encouraging and he's so passionate, just like Leslie is. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so much. Thanks for having us on and get up and get it. Get up and get and get moving. 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 <laughs> Clap our wings tomorrow, everybody, when we get on the uh, planes. Yeah. Okay. And we yeah, Cindy doesn't sound too all. like she's gonna do that. I yeah. know, I know. I'm trying yeah. to talk her into it. It's not happening. <laughs> you know, but you could you could do your toe tapping Cindy on the plane, you know. No one will it, know. Possibly. I'd probably get somebody telling me that I'm bothering them, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Thank you, girls. Great job. Right, you guys, guys have done a phenomenal job. Thanks, job. ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us on you betcha bye Bye. 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 (laughs) um right we still have a few minutes do you want to do can you open up the uh, mini mall stuff and we could go through that really quick not all the descriptions but maybe the items and the prices and the way to contact yeah um, you know um while i'm calling up this document i just wanted to mention i was on their website today and you can uh you can get gift cards for people through the acb mini mall um yeah starting at ten dollars ten dollars twenty five dollars and fifty dollars those are the ones i saw so if you don't know what a good idea for like affiliate or chapter like a motivational kind of, you know, maybe membership drive, people bringing in Absolutely. new members, they yeah. get in a drawing, those kinds of things. That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? Yes. I, I, you know, I, I didn't know that they had them and I, I just think either. that's really cool. All right. all right. So first of all, we, we have the ACB jacket and, um, you know, that sounds really cool and it sells for $58 and then we have the ACB full uh, zipped hoodie. And that comes, uh, all these things come in lots of different sizes and colors. So, you know, check those out if you, uh, if you can. And the hoodie is $55. And then we have the ACB hooded sweatshirt, which is the one I want. <laughs> and all Me these too. things, yeah, all these things have the ACB logo on them. And uh, those color come in different colors also. 
and sizes and that is $40. Now that's a steal. I think, you know, sweatshirts are really expensive, I think. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. Then we have the ACB clear drawstring bag, and this is 12 by 12 and uh, it cinches at the top with drawstrings and um, it's only $6. Seriously. Wow. That's the bargain of the, of the conference really. It is. And, and this is another one I want the ACV uh, vacuum travel tumbler for hot and cold beverages. Um, And they're all insulated and it's got an airtight lid and all that good stuff. And it's $17, you know, those mugs are quite expensive. So that's a good deal too. And then last but certainly not least, we have the ACB lead safety clip. And this uh, is a safety clip that has a neon light in it that is either flashing or solid. You can change that. And um, that is, uh, you know, really cool for traveling at night for visibility. And that is $12. Wow. All right. And while you, while you pull up the schedule so we can switch gears, I'm going to say, go check these items and others out at acbminimall.org. And you can place your order there. And there's other stuff besides this stuff mentioned there. Oh, yeah. And if you find that something's out of uh, order, they're out of supply, you want to make sure that you get it or, or you need assistance. Call 612-332-3242 and someone from the Minneapolis office will assist you. So quickly, let's find out what's coming up between now and when we come back. All right. At 3.15 p.m., we have Hill Etiquette, and this is by Swatham Nandikumar with a panel. And then at 4 p.m., issues related to housing advocacy, and Claire Stanley will uh, moderate that. <laughs> yes, indeed. That'll mean it's never back. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And then at 4.45 p.m., we get to do our we'll last connection show. All right. And <laughs> perfect timing. We did it. So <laughs> I think we turn this over to you, Clark. Are you there? 